This is Damon Albarn, and you're listening to Hallelujah Monkeys, the number one gorillas podcast in the world. Welcome to Hallelujah Monkeys for, I mean, you know, what, should I just guess? Live, November? live from the great bottleneck of 2017. <laughs> November 40th. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And who are you? Uh, I'm Dylan Flynn. I'm Trevor Ickrath. It's Hallelujah, Hallelujah Monkeys PM. Dylan, we're recording at night. Remember we used, we used to record during the day? Yeah, we used to have like these afternoon records. I remember. Has the, has the entirety of Hallelujah Monkeys season five taken place at night i think so i think, I think so have. this is our nocturnal season i mean i think sometimes we were like early bird special dinner time you know old people yes. going to ihop dinner time special yeah, yeah uh but but you know we were always on the we were always bringing it in for a little bit of nighttime vibes and, i like and it so different far, kind of energy it's working yeah it's working it is working this is a good it's season the, for it it's br- it's breathed a little new life i think yeah, into the dynamic definitely um i yeah i don't know i i'd love to give you all the updates i can uh but it seems weird considering that like i just don't know when these words reach our audience i mean we had a baby shower it's the 27th right now that's when we're recording and you're supposed to get the thing that lets you edit all this stuff together tomorrow or yeah like between those two dates and i'm following the shipping it says that it's at a carrier in my home state so it should i'm gonna be i'm gonna bet it comes tomorrow let's hope you know, when are we, are we going to drop all these bad boys at once? I can't remember what we decided to do. I think I might just do that. I might just edit all of them and drop them all, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a, not a bad idea. Why not? Just have some fun with it, right? Just have some fun with it. You can, it's not a podcast if you can have a little fun with it, right? I mean, like Andre 3000 said, do you think? <laughs> he did say that. He did say that. Uh, to us, he meant talk about Gorilla's news. So let's go ahead and do that, it's right? All, it's all good news. So yeah, let's get into it. Uh, before we get into stuff about the band, let's talk about stuff about the show. Our our last week's like mini episode thing that you listened to, uh, we mentioned that we had a brand new like Patreon exclusive bonus show thing in the works. And uh, give us money, you guys. You guys really got excited about it. We got a lot of people uh, jumping to get in before that deadline to to get their album uh, reviewed on on the bonus show. So. The way it works, if you didn't listen, is if you if you go to patreon.com slash howlyoumonkeys uh, before the end of the year and support the show at $5 or greater, uh, you can submit an album that Trevor and I will have to do a track-by-track review of. And all the details of that uh, craziness you can find uh, on patreon.com slash howlyoumonkeys with a Z. Be sure to read the fine print, folks. Don't 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 be coming at us with with some kind of a bylaw or or you know fine print stuff that you you know. I, let's keep it on the up and up. That's what I'm saying. We got a new Gorillas versus Log S song after the show, of course. Uh, continuing our no antennas. Yes, very exciting. I'm very excited about it. Wonder, 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 wonder which uh, <laughs> wonder which classic Gorillas track this uh. This song will find our boy Logass deciding to take on. You may think you're you're awfully clever, Trevor, but but what you don't, what you may not be alluding to is that maybe there's more than one Gorillaz tune. You know, that's that's the thing I like about this guy's music. You know, he likes to kind of set things up where you're like able to go like, I, I see what you're doing here. I see how you're going to knock him down. But right. then, then he comes in with like you know this little extra oomph every time. 
Exactly. Soon, the se- he's so good at sensing. The second you're like, oh, I get it, I get it. He he hit you with the left hook, you know? That wily, that wily son of a... <laughs> Matchup artist. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about some Gorillas news. Uh, we got... Uh, let's. The only thing I wanted to tell you is that they they... Did that thing where they like streamed live streamed a, a concert? This time it was in uh, La Zenith in Paris, Trevor. Oh, so we have like um, footage of like uh, live Hong Kong now. Yes, we do, but it's this very special edition of live Hong Kong. Did he because... actually? Did he? Did he bring out the? Um, did, he, did he manage to get like the Chinese string player live again? Was no. What what happened? No. Uh, well, you know how. You know how those neon lights do our boy. You know how how those neon lights get him going. They they and, make uh, him feel some kind of way. <laughs> and I guess I guess it was all a little too much for him because during that second verse, he he had a big sneeze. He sneezed during the song and then like kind of fell off of the the lyric in order to exclaim, "I've never sneezed, sneezed on stage ever in my life before." I always think about this. <laughs> I've never seen anyone sneeze like in a public forum before like what if you're like president what if you're like the president and you're like delivering like state of a nation address and you just got to sure i've never seen it happen or if you're doing some really intense drama like arthur miller's you know death of a salesman yeah, you're I've supposed ne- to be like mid monologue about about how you're fraying at the edges and you don't think you're gonna survive and you just like sneeze you know if you were in if you were watching a play and one of the people uh one of the actors sneezed would you say god bless you Yes, but I would say it like quietly into my shirt pocket. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make a big deal of it. Right. What if uh, Damon? Uh, what if Damon is so taken by this whole, this whole little episode that he starts singing the song like "The Neon Lights Make Me Sneeze"? Would that ruin Hong Kong? <laughs> and he like winked every time he did it. Yeah, and then like that's what we need. We need more audience participation stuff too. Like maybe the audience would all fake a sneeze during that part something yeah or just all yell god bless you or something i like it great uh okay and then keeping with with the trend from last week's news again i thought it was really funny we had another really good damon quote uh we love when damon talks about damon that's our favorite thing now right i always love hearing from this boy about this boy i kind of like the tradition of you reading all damon quotes during the news so let me set you up with the interviewer's question and then you take the damon part is that good sure i'll do my best this is for knack focus magazine by the way i believe it's a it's a german publication but anyway the interviewer says uh so the chief of the largest virtual band in the world who recently delivered the most successful virtual reality video debut in the history of youtube does not own a smartphone no, for 60 euros, I can buy a whole box of these Nokias, which is good because I lose my phone every now and then. I do have an iPad. I recorded the Gorillaz album The Fall there a few years ago. Quite a few people thought it was a snack, but it is my personal favorite. Hot take! <laughs> Hot take! He should have called in for the Followers montage <laughs> back on our uh, fall imagine. episode. Quite a, quite a few <laughs> people thought it was a snack. I like that quote. That's good. That's pretty good. But if he loves it so much, if it's truly, if we, if we're to take our boy at his word here and say that it's that it's his favorite Gorillaz album, where's the live debuts? I mean, we got we got Revolving Doors uh, this year, but but come on, where's our where's our where's our you know Bobby and Phoenixes and whatnot? Maybe he's too protective of these songs to let them be played by people who aren't him and his iPad. Could be. Maybe he's sort of like. He could work it out, but he'd have to excuse everybody from the stage first, you know? It's quite a snack. A lot of people thought it was a snack. Okay, here's the big news, Trevor. We've got a, we've got a, a 
the third and the greatest in in a series of of G Foot pop up shops. Uh, hey, I went to one of those ones. Yeah, we we did together. This one's going to be a little bit more. You know, the hooks are going to be a little deeper in the ground because it's going to be up for a full week, Trevor. Um, this is a Christmas emporium in London. Don Quixote's Christmas pop-up store. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So imagine kind of what we got, but probably a bit more robust because they're going to have some more stuff. So first of all, there's a new line from a, a designer called CP Company UK of Humans World Tour merchandise. Everything I've seen so far bears the kind of Z insignia, you know, like you see in the little giant artworks that they post during throughout the, the Humans Tour. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, live visuals. Mm-hmm. Um I see. What is that hat that this gentleman's wearing in this in this promotional photograph, Trevor? It looks like it's got goggles on it. It's like a little pyramid with a flat top. Yeah, but it's got like weird goggles, or are those his goggles? It's hard to tell. That's a good question. They they need to have like you know like a little like a little tag at the bottom, like goggles not included, or if they are, yeah. These G foot models look like there's somebody off camera who's about to shoot them in the face. They always look so fucking miserable. They look like Kanye West is there telling them not to smile. <laughs> Which is, I think, they what do he does like for that. his like uh, easy season premieres, right? Yeah, definitely. Not allowed to smile. Somebody asked me uh, recently, "What do you think people would think of uh, of Kanye West if he didn't have any musical talent?" And I said the same that they think about Liam Gallagher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay anyway uh here's the actual big news about this pop-up store trevor it's gonna it's gonna be the exclusive it's going to see the exclusive premiere of gorillas's new magazine g magazine everybody's putting out magazines nowadays you know you got you had that frank ocean magazine taylor swift put out a magazine with her last she album did. now we got uh, now we got now we got g magazine that's pretty cool though right yeah and they've got a cover they've got a cover and it's like some like it looks like some like vintage Hewlett shit, you know? It's not like this like weird kind of goopy CGI we've been getting. This is like you know some of the best start of the phase, I would say. I really like it. I really like that noodle. You can see that cover, I think, right now at Gorillos.com. But but they let's all we know about this magazine, Trevor, is what they've told us on the cover. So let's let's talk about the the stories that are teased on the cover. Right, right up top, you got a you got two very enticing pieces. You got crate digging with noodle. And awesome. Russell Hobbs on Ghosts. That's exciting to me. And it's a great, That's exciting such me. a good callback, you know, because I feel like Russell and Ghosts, that hasn't been a thing since like kind of mid phase two. Like it wasn't in Plastic Beach at all. It's like great. Like you'd almost want him to have the crate digging feature because, you know, he's so like he's such a hip hop head. But to like go with the whole like ghost angle, it's a really nice little callback to phase one, I think. I totally agree. Very exciting. Yeah, I think Ogre was the last big kind of Russell Supernatural profile, unless you count him just growing really big in Plastic Beach, I guess. Right, they kind of shifted the whole Supernatural focus more to Murdoch in Phase 3, like with all his whole like immortality thing. So the other two band members do have features. You've got 2D Talk Synths and His Last Day on Earth. And Murdoch Nichols' Guide to Love. Mm, he's a feminist, you know. And an environmentalist. He is. And then at the very bottom, probably probably the cutest idea here is uh, Gorillas Grill, Jamie Hewlett, and more inside. So I, I'm very excited about the idea of Jamie Hewlett being being interviewed uh, by the band. That we're we're really going back to some like phase one kind of shit with that, right? I mean... I love that this feels like a fucking Teen Beat magazine to me. Seriously. I want this really badly. I want to own this really badly. <laughs> maybe maybe some kind listener across across the Atlantic over in 
over in that uh, that that place that the good, the bad, and the queen is about could go <laughs> pick it up, donate it to our Patreon. You know, we accept more than money. Whatever that's you true. Send in, good, we'll goods and it. services welcome. Yeah, uh, yeah. If you if you're going to this thing and you want to try to work something out with us, you should definitely email us howlyoumonkeys at gmail dot com. Or uh, Damon, we know you're listening. Get Jamie to send us a magazine. And if nobody helps uh, out, we will have potentially a chance, Trevor, because I guess whatever they don't sell of that print run at the G Foot shop, they're going to put up onto the G Foot web store. But I know from experience that that shit always sells out so fast. I'm sure somebody will just scan it and put it on Reddit, right? I'm sure. But this would be a fun thing to own, I think. It would look great on the shelf next to Rise of the Ogre, definitely. Sure would. Yeah. Sure would. Yeah. And I love again. I just love the kind of the kind of 1980s Teen Idol vibe that I get from it. And know? again, you get that classic um, Rock the House like font too with the G. Sick. Or is that from like the Phase One website? It's just. I think it's it's, it's from the Rock the House uh, uh, album art or single art is what I know it from. Such a blast from the past. This thing, I love it. So much fun. And then the shop itself is going to be on 357 Portobello Road. Very fancy, very upscale part of London. Uh, and it's going to be December 1st through the 8th. You can find out more details about that from the G Foot Facebook page. Buy so us a if magazine. you're in London, buy us a magazine. Yeah, <laughs> buy us a magazine, definitely. <laughs> um, Trevor, are you ready to get onto this round table? Yeah. Uh, what, what, uh, what album are we talking about again this week? The Bravest Man. In the universe. So Dylan, it's uh it's 2010, okay? Yeah. Damon Auburn wakes up from a night of horrible dreams to find himself in his bunk on a gorilla's tour bus halfway through the uh the by now infamous Escape to Plastic Beach tour. You following? Absolutely. I I completely follow right, you. So drenched in a cold sweat, he thinks about trying to go back to sleep, but when he looks out the window, he sees that the sun is already coming up. And, like, uh, mm. confronted with this image of the rising sun, he can't help but think back to Demon Days, which was, like, an easier time in his life when his albums sold well and he actually liked how his songs turned out. You know, a far cry from the plastic beach days of Gorillaz, you know, the, the dark days. Absolutely. So before he can go back to bed, uh, Damon hears the sound of an acoustic guitar coming from outside the window. Intrigued and like uh, careful not to wake anyone else up in the tour bus, he uh, he like tiptoes past his sleeping booty brow and I think and ventures outside, <laughs> only only to find who does he find? Bobby Womack sitting on top of the tour bus and playing guitar as he watches the sunrise. And noticing Damon emerging from the bus, Bobby beckons him up to the roof to join him, which he does. I like the idea that he goes, "Hey, Bobby, can I jump on with my iPod real quick?" <laughs> <laughs> great anyways bobby looks at damon and he can clearly tell something's the matter so he says to him he's you're up early what's wrong can't sleep and damon goes i don't know i keep having these horrible nightmares about marky smith showing up to do glitter freeze live with us and it's just such a mess <laughs> and bobby's still playing guitar he, he laughs and he goes now wouldn't that be a sight but damon keeps going he says like uh he says yeah, sometimes I feel like that's the only thing that can make these shows even more stressful. And Bobby asks, what do you mean? And Damon says, I don't know, Bobby, sometimes I just, sometimes I feel like these songs are playing just aren't good enough, you know? Like, I could have done a better job. Maybe 
had had somebody else program the drums or something. I don't know. To which Bobby replies, Damon, we've all been there. You just need to you just need to trust in yourself. The people that come to see the show obviously like the songs, right? But Damon just sighs and he says, That's that's another problem though. There aren't as many people coming to these shows as we thought there'd be. Honestly, Bobby, some nights I'm I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I'll walk out onto the stage and the audience will be completely empty. It'll be like I'm in a, a, cl- a club where there's music playing to nobody. Well, Bobby considers this for a moment before turning to Damon with, uh, with a sagely look in his eye and saying, well, considering how you still go out there every night, I'd say that just about makes you the bravest man in the universe. Now, immediately upon hearing this, Damon finds himself <laughs> speechless suddenly struck by a notion and an idea a realization <laughs> he looks at bobby and he says bobby you know you haven't put out a solo album in quite some time again bobby laughs and he goes that's true isn't it you know i consider it sometimes but i think i might just be too old for it by now but damon just looks at him that, that classic classic gorilla's glint in his eye you know the one <laughs> and he says I, I think you might have one more in you. And Bobby finally Bobby finally stops playing guitar, and after a moment he says, You really think I can do it? To which Damon replies, Yeah. All you've got to do is just be brave. <laughs> this one was unexpectedly like sweet and melancholy Trevor these are getting really good I think I think it's been a nice little thing to help drive the season along you know it's, it's important really to good. understand where these where these little these little albums come from these little gems in the gorillas catalog that aren't quite gorillas albums but we still have them I think there's a lot of truth in your in your little fic there too because I think that Damon's relationship with Bobby was really instrumental in bringing Bobby back out of his shell oh I mean, totally yeah absolutely I think that's undeniable. People talk about how this was his first album in a decade, but it was actually his first original material since the 90s, the early 90s. Quite quite a while, and we should say we are talking today about uh, Bobby Womack's 2012 album, The Bravest Man in the Universe, produced by Damon Auburn and Richard Russell. Yeah, and really the think tank of this album, no pun intended, no Damon Auburn reference intended. I, I caught was, that one, uh, was was Bobby Womack, Damon Albarn, Richard Russell, who is the president of XL Recordings. And yeah, let's talk about him for a second, because I feel like nobody's really going to know who this guy is. Well, let me start off by saying he's a frickin' bajillionaire. Uh, is he? I didn't know that. Well, XL Recordings is, you know, they signed Adele. Okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he's very, very wealthy. But... <laughs> he's just fine. But but musically, he's he's a little bit more of an outsider. Uh, there's, there's probably his best-known uh, work as a producer was he did that Gil Scott Heron comeback album that came out, like, right before Gil Scott Heron died. I'm new here, yeah. Which, like like this album, was a huge stylistic departure for Gil Scott Heron. And his first his first recorded original yes. material in quite some time, like I think more than a decade. So it's it's really a companion piece to Bravest Man in the Universe in a way. It, 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 yeah, you can definitely see why Damon would want this guy to help out with this album. Absolutely. And also interesting to note, um, I'm new here, and Bravest Man were also the last uh, albums these guys would release before they died. Yep. Uh, the uh, I guess you would call it the prehumus album. As opposed to the posthumous albums, I suppose. Whatever you would call Black Star. Yeah, it's it's their Black Star. 
that's a good yeah. that's a good way of putting it and then the fourth member of the kind of the kind of creative uh partnership here is uh is harold payne um harold payne was basically bobby's long time uh songwriter collaborator so after bobby stopped writing harold also kind of became semi-retired so this was kind of him coming out of retirement too and he he'd worked with bobby on basically every womack album of originals so this was like a a very old friendship that kind of turned back into a partnership with this record and those four guys are credited with writing every original on this album so uh it's it's as far as credits tell us it's a very you know uh uh, four-way street of information and, and creativity a real think tank as he put it yeah exactly i feel like this album has a hypothesis and the hypothesis to me seems to be like can we make what is basically like a loungy english like down tempo chill hop album alongside a bobby womack album and have the two things work together and not get in the way of each other that that's my read on this whole thing what what was your kind of take on this record conceptually mine was like can we take bobby womack's consciousness and shoot it into space i like that that's very impressionistic um do you have uh, do you have some adjectives for me? I do. They're um they they speak more to I think um the kind of moods of the record rather than the sounds. I've got nostalgic, right? Reflective. Yep. And I had to do it to him. Brave. Brave. I like it. There is some bravery on here. This was such a stylistic departure from him. I didn't like. I don't have a lot of history with Bobby Womack's music, but I did like take a quick spin through like some greatest hits in preparation for this episode, and. Yeah, he'd never sounded like this before. No, yeah, he worked. He mostly worked in the funk and soul uh, traditional um, lanes. <clears throat> my real, my experience with Bobby Womack is is basically on his album The Poet. I, the Poet is like the album of his that I'm really, really familiar with. Um, which the big hit on that is "If You Think You're Lonely Now." Um, and uh, other than that, I just kind of know him through his Gorilla stuff, and then of course from the the Jackie Brown soundtrack uh staple across 110th street um which is a great tune and works awesomely in that movie i had never heard of him before stylo actually oh that's fun that's fun yeah uh and and i don't think that this album bulls me over i think that i have some issues with this album I'm, i'm gonna let me give you my adjectives uh that'll hopefully kind of put you into the mindset of where i'm coming from sure uh i decided to go for some alliteration so I, that's that's my angle this, this week Always fun and annoying i have uh retrofitted remorseful and rusty okay that's that's you're not that's uh i feel like uh i feel like i'm seeing where you're starting to come down on the side yeah that's where that's maybe giving you a little bit of a hint i think um yeah i think that there's times where where bobby as a writer is really on display here and and is strong and, and evocative and then there's times where it feels like he got 75 percent of the way done with the song and then was like i don't think i can do any better than this and they moved on like i i don't know i don't know there's a few on here that that feel not quite as fleshed out Ooh, you're not gonna like one of my i feel like you're not gonna like one of my favorites maybe not we'll see we'll see as we get there retrofitted though that's really my my the the places on this this album where it falls flat for me are the places where it feels like Richard Russell and Damon Albarn are like, let's sh- let's show them what a what a Bobby Womack album sounds like in 2017, and it sounds gimmicky. There, it definitely is this kind of mood almost that they are like, we need to bring Bobby back. You know, it feels like a very deliberate attempt to like, yeah, 
definitely like, yeah push bobby womack into the new millennium or whatever and i think that there's some songs that really strongly support their hypothesis and then there's also some moments that feel a little i don't know a little nothing nothing really like actually falls flat for me here i think some of this is better than the rest of it but i think for the most part this is a pretty strong record like stronger than i would have like anticipated it being it's no black star for sure but i think it kind of belongs almost in the same category i think that it's a I think that there's there's a lot of treasure on here for sure. And I don't think that there's any one song that I don't like something about, but you know, we'll just point out we'll point out my issues as we get through them, I guess. But remorseful is important too. We'll talk about remorseful is important. Bobby was very interested in like looking at his sins and talking about regret and saying that he's sorry on this album. I mean, the lead single is called "Please Forgive My Heart," so yeah, for sure. So so. Uh, Let's do it. Let's launch into these songs, right? Right. We're starting off with the title track. We heard a little of it uh, in the bumper. It's The Bravest Man in the Universe. And, And to complete the thought, The Bravest Man in the Universe is the one who asks for or the one who forgives first right yeah the the first one to forgive the other one first yeah there you go uh and and this establishes the kind of <laughs> emotional theme that that bobby will come back to time and again on here which is like right it immediately sets this kind of dark introspective tone that'll like pretty much persist throughout the entirety of the record this uh this features uh, a little all-female string ensemble called the demon strings trevor are they from are they from those apollo shows from the Manchester show? I can't remember if they played in Manchester, but I do know that they performed on Everyday Robots and on the Magic Whip. So they're, you know, they're Studio 13 fixtures. They're they're in the Gorillaz family. They're in the Gorillaz family, for sure. All the more justification for why this album is in this season. I like this song, but I don't like the little Siri voice who says the bravest man in the universe like that. Oh, I like that. I like all of the samples on the record. I think they're very cool and they add a nice little touch. I like all of the samples on the record except for that one. The bravest man in the universe. That one that one to me feels a little like I said, a little too much like Yeah, look, we're 2017 or we're 2012 ifying uh, uh, Bobby Womack. I don't know about that. I mean, it, if anything, it made me think of "Ladies and Gentlemen." We're floating in space. It just—it sounds too serious to be not a serious reference to me. I don't know. All right, I can—I get that a little bit. But there's a lot I do like on this this track. This one's really cool. It starts with like just Bobby's voice before Damon and Richard kind of bring in this great beat that sounds like really electronic, but it's actually driven by like this little bluesy kind of guitar riff going yeah, on. Yeah, that little riff. I love uh, that thing. The band and da da Is that, da, is that da, Bobby da, da. playing guitar? I'm sure think? it is. I'm sure that it is. Okay. Yeah. And, and this highly effective piano that sounds like it could come straight from like Tomorrow Comes Today almost. And also some, some guitar stings later that almost sound like they could have been from spitting out the demons. I'm like, bang, bang. Oh yeah. Those are really cool. cool. And that's what the, guitar that, and the whistling comes in. Do you think that's Damon whistling? It sounds like it could have come straight from Nature Springs. According to the personnel, Damon plays piano all over this record. He does backup vocals on this record. So, you know, never, never... The piano is great. This might be, like, Damon's best album on the piano. If he's doing all the stuff I think he's doing, he knocks it out of the park. And can we talk about how, like, good the bass lines are on this album? Like, 
Who did Dave? Who did Damon get to play bass on this album? Murdoch Nichols. <laughs> and a lot of them are very Damony. A lot of the bass lines are, are recognizably quite Damony. It's, I think um, I, I read that he had a lot to do with the songwriting on this album. He would actually give Bobby Womack like instrumental demos, and Bobby would take those away and kind of like write lyrics to them, which apparently wasn't like a style he was used to writing in. But he like appreciated Damon kind of pushing him outside of that comfort zone. That's really cool. That's really cool. There's times where I almost feel like I can hear what everybody brought to the table, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, where 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 Richard Russell is coming from with his kind of background as a, as a UK electronic dance music producer and, like, where Damon's coming from with his Damon-y stuff and, and where Harold and, and Bobby are coming from with their kind of funk and soul background. Every now and then I feel like really vividly i see all four of these dudes and what they're doing on the song you know i didn't know that fourth dude was even a thing but if if i did i could have pictured it. <laughs> i feel you i feel you um yeah this is good this is a good uh, perfect opening track to kind of like set up a lot of these themes of wisdom of regret uh you know of looking backwards into the past and trying to bring lessons with you into the future speaking about looking backwards into the past though did you know that this is actually the only song on the album that like predates the sessions in fact it was written like 40 years ago no kidding i did not know that isn't that cool i i love that kind of stuff you know like an old song finally finding a home after years in like a place that like it just slots anew perfectly i think that speaks kind of positively to a lot of the material on this record because i said rusty earlier and in some ways that was that was a reference to the fact that like you know bobby hadn't done this in a while and was and was shaking off the dust but also it's the aesthetic of his voice sounding you know having all this extra character of age on it um but honestly the the material on this album stacks up pretty nicely to the song which i assume would be written in more of like a a peak Bobby period. So maybe, maybe I'm a little, maybe I'm steered a little wrong on that. Who knows? I guess, yeah. Who, who knows what truths will come out during this review? Oh, I got some truth bombs to drop on you in this review. I, boy, I'm almost trembling to about the things we're going to talk about. Okay. You got any, you got any truth bombs about the next song? I could try say I'm sorry. Please forgive my heart. Uh, just that Bobby Womack, sorry. You feel sorry. <laughs> It's the first single. I remember when this came out. Do you think that he fucked around on his on his wife while he was on tour with the uh, Gorillas, and that's what these songs are about? I can no, I, I can't imagine it being that current, but that is amusing to think about, isn't it? <laughs> the second verse of this song is really beautiful. The second verse, I think, is the best poetry on the on the record. Uh, time can pass so slowly when you face your burden down. Uh, your term is not commuted. It lingers without a sound. The dawn's a silent witness. Really beautiful. That is really nice. I like um, this one set of lyrics. Like, uh, you know, there's a lot of good lyrics about like waking up and realizing that you've done something regrettable the previous night. And I, I loved the way Bobby phrases that here. He sings like, "The dawn is a silent witness to the blindness of the night, and we see our reflection so clear in the blush flush of the morning light." Yeah, perfect. That's beautiful. This is also in my top three. It's not in my top three, but I really, really like it. That that, ba- that synth bass line is also very Damon. <laughs> really good. And the it. outro. I think the outro with with uh, Bobby on guitar here is like one of the prettiest things on the album for sure this one really builds to a, like a strong climax too like he's really firing on all cylinders like 
vocally and emotionally too. Like I'm really feeling this performance. Right the, now. the only thing that like when I try to figure out like how does this arrangement work for this piece of music, um, and a lot of times the answer is yes. But but I do find myself oftentimes wishing that I had Bobby's demo with a guitar. You know, like I a lot of times I I find myself like okay yeah this this kind of chill wave thing that's going on here is cool and it does wrap around bobby's vocal nicely but i kind of wish i just had an acoustic guitar and bobby womack performing this song and i feel like this is a song where where everything bobby doing it does is great and everything happening behind him is really good too but i don't necessarily know if the two like are perfect matches for each other for my taste well you know like i told you a lot of this album was written by damon giving him instrumental demos so there might there very well might not be a version of this that exists as like damon as just bobby playing it on guitar it's true that's true uh there is a little bit of just bobby playing it on guitar on the next track though Deep River. I like this one a lot. Apparently, this was recorded all in one take. So this is a. I, I kind of. I, I kind of fought with myself about this, but ultimately, I did decide to make this my number three and my top three. Honestly, it's been stuck in my head like for a week now. It's a. It's really. It's a good. traditional. It's not an original. Yeah. Um. It's an old gospel song, and yeah, the full story. Richard Russell told it in an interview. The full story is that like, he and Damon and Bobby were just chatting about Bobby's kind of musical background, and then. Bobby was like, here, let me play you an old song. And they were rolling camera and tape at the time uh, at Studio 13 when he did this. And then they literally just used that take on this record. He wasn't even playing and intending for it to be on the album, just to give, basically just to like give them an, an example of a kind of music that he was talking about. But it was sort of like so stunning and so powerful that they were like, okay, we're just going to put this on the record as is because it's. Yeah, I can see why they'd want to leave this one alone. You know, his his there's such a raw quality to his vocals that really like makes up for there not being a busier arrangement behind it. In fact, I think that would have like distracted from it here. Definitely, it's it's very beautiful. It's very emotive. It's full of pain and and, and wisdom. And it's, I think it's totally transcendent. Like, and just to speak to that. Though, there's a great part in that Richard Russell uh, interview where he talks about Bobby being a Pisces. <laughs> He's been through a lot and seen a lot, but he has a lot of humility. Richard Russell's also a Pisces. I'm a Pisces too. Um, right. I yeah. I think that the my, the only reason I hesitate to put this in my top three is that it it feels like it undercuts all the hard work that went into this album in a way for to do that. Like, hey, knowing knowing when to you know just capture something in one take is takes just as much work and skill as knowing when something needs more behind it. <laughs> sure. Why not? Why not? Uh, but yeah, I, I just think that this is so beautiful, and, and Bobby's such a good guitar player, and his voice is so expressive. And I like I like me some undistilled Bobby Womack, and that's what this is. Yeah. Next, though, we've got maybe the most distilled track on the album, and like I feel really guilty admitting it, but my favorite. Oh, Dago Reflection. As a singer grows older, his conception goes a little deeper because he lives life and he understands what he's trying to say a little more. Dayglow Reflection featuring Lana Del Rey. Yeah, almost more like Dayglow Reflection by Lana Del Rey featuring Bobby Womack at times, but... Uh... Yeah, I mean, that's... We'll, we'll talk about that. First, though, discussion question. Uh, Dylan, which Bond film do you prefer? Dayglow Reflection or She's My Caller? 
<laughs> you know what? Daigler Reflection had that had that that corny Dalton aesthetic that I just love. You know, right? But she's my collar has the S and M scene. That's true. They're both really good. Yeah, I like this one a lot, man. I know it's barely like a Bobby Womack song, and I wish he was on it more. But this one just like the beat kills it, and like Lana Del Rey turns in that kind of like Bond theme performance. And, like, this was a, almost a little bit before she was Lana Del Rey. A little bit. This is when, like, Lana Del Rey was still kind of trying to take off the launch pad, and it was kind of looking like she might explode, like, once they, like, got the stuff apart from her. Like, remember her... I think all she really had under her belt at this point was, like, video games and, like, Born to Die. Yeah. And, like, she had that horrible SNL performance. Do you remember that? I do, yeah. That almost tanked her career. She became a real punching bag at that time, and it was it frustrated me. But now she's like now she's very established and respectable. Yeah, for sure. I immediately thought that she had a really powerful, interesting voice, and I the only reason I could see her her burning up and turning into this punching bag, the only real reason I could sense was like that she was young and a woman and snobs didn't like her and snobs and rich and like her dad got her career at the record uh, company right yeah it's it just you know it's just all that dumb social bullshit but but this yeah. is a really lovely performance i think she turns in a really good performance and it's weird that it starts i got some stuff to talk about with the song trevor and i want to just like talk about the song first before i get into the weird stuff that's going to happen later in the song Sure, what do you want to talk about uh, before we get to the weird stuff? Do you want to talk about how, how, how great and jazzy it is? I love this beat. It feels like we're traveling through the cosmos or something on some kind of big jazz ship. It's very acid jazz. Uh, the, this is my favorite piano on the record. I love I love this piano. Uh, this I think the piano is actually kind of the star of the song in a way. Absolutely. That bass line, though, is also really good. Also really good. It man it manages to be both futurist but also get out of the way when it needs to, you know? Like it mm-hmm. doesn't it doesn't necessarily take over, but it but it's everything everything on this song is doing exactly what it should be doing, exactly where it should be doing it, and exactly when it should be doing it. Because I really love the way they employ that little Sam Cook sample at the beginning and like midway through in order to create kind of like a drop. That's really cool. So Sam Cooke is talking about how, as a musician gets older, that they imbue more meaning into their performance, which which is interesting because it almost could be viewed as, like, maybe taking a shot at Lana Del Rey in a way, where, like, she's this very young woman who sings with a lot of, like, you know, character, and this is mostly her song. So it's very weird. I'm not exactly sure how to interpret that. I think it could almost be, like, um, you know speaking to her as like an older person speaking to a younger person not as like a you know a jab but more as kind of like this is what's in store for you like yeah you're you know you're a a young singer now but you're eventually going to grow into more of like if you you know if you stick to it you'll become a bobby womack i wish i do wish that there was more bobby on this song really only for the reason that i wish that i could hear the interplay between their voices a little bit more like for example there that third verse which the one that starts with uh watching from a distant constellation i think that that would have been a really good verse for bobby to take and then you would have like let lana take the second verse and both of the hooks and then given bobby that little third verse that would have been really kind of a perfect that's all it would have taken him like just just have him come back in at the end it would make it would have made it feel so much more like a bobby Womack song i think i think i would feel less guilty about calling it my favorite track on the album um, okay. I like that song a lot. Let's have let's have a little conversation about Sam Cooke and Bobby Womack and being sorry for things. Okay. Uh that sample is from a GQ interview with Sam Cooke. 
Um, I thought it was on the Ed Sullivan show. No, it was from GQ, I believe. I'm pretty sure. Huh. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. But in any case, uh, uh, Sam Cooke died in 1964. He was shot in a hotel. Um, three months after Sam Cooke died, Bobby Womack married his widow. And it was a big controversy at the time and seen as a betrayal of Sam Cooke, uh, who was Bobby's mentor um, and kind of like helped get him signed and, and was very responsible for the beginning of Bobby Womack's career. Um, he broke bro code, right? Well, right. You know what I'm talking no. about. You know what I'm talking <laughs> Ultimately, about. Ultimately, people get to choose who they are in love with and, and shaming people around that is usually problematic. But yeah, but you you can't you you can't break bro code. So, dude, you, you, <laughs> dude, dude, come on, you know what I'm talking about. Why don't you tell me what codes are broken later on in this story? Um, okay. So at that time in 1964, Sam Cooke and 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 uh, Barbara Campbell was was his wife, and then later Bobby Womack's wife. Uh, their oldest kid at that time, Linda, was 11 years old when Bobby Womack married uh, Barbara. Okay. Following. So six years later, it's 1970, Barbara Campbell comes home to find Bobby Womack in bed with her daughter, Linda, uh, who's 17, her daughter that she, she had with Sam. I, I, I'm, I'm checking my bro code book to see what's going on here to see what the protocol is. Keep going. Uh, and uh, Barbara shot Bobby Womack, um, grazed his scalp. As Bobby was escaping from their home together, they were immediately divorced. Now she see, now see the the ironic thing is she was actually following bro code. <laughs> she was acting completely accordingly. They were immediately divorced and estranged. Um, and the reason that we know this story is because Bobby told the whole thing in his autobiography, like in the nineties. You know, as as just like a piece of shame in his history, and and best to just get out in front of it, right? And so, Bobby Womack is a man who knows a little something about being sorry for things, but that's pretty fucked up. That's pretty fucked up. Uh, you know, he met that Linda Linda Campbell was entered his life when she was eleven, and he married her mom. I don't know what their role relationship was like. Uh, as she was growing up, but by the time she was seventeen, they were they were sleeping together, uh, and uh, Bobby took a bullet for it. So, um, so the question that I have is, why is Sam Cook on this song? That's weird. <laughs> why did they use that Sam Cook sample, Trevor? That seems weird to me. Almost as importantly, which of the four do you think came up with that idea? Good question. I don't know. I don't know. I don't really know how. Yeah, I, I don't know what to do with a lot of this information. You just gave me. <laughs> well, there you go. Now we have it, and we can proceed for the rest of the album with it in our within our minds and our hearts. Um, look, I'll say this: I, I I definitely do believe in redemption, and I believe that people can yeah. grow and change and yeah. be genuinely sorry. And I mean, forty years forty years seems like plenty of time for. A man's heart to change and and for him to realize that he was a fucked up weirdo uh <laughs> and i mean he did take a bullet it skimmed him <laughs> it skimmed did just him. give him hey i got a it question now yeah whatever happened to the times oh if you've seen me running 
through some streets and light. I'll tell you what happened to them. They became Dylan Flynn's favorite song on this album. This one is very good. It almost feels like the centerpiece of the whole record, you know? It puts all, all the album's themes and of kind of like nostalgia and reflection right up front. And I think that they're the, the greatest uh, piece of evidence for the hypothesis of this record. I can't imagine like a more traditional, you know, big band and funk combo arrangement of the song that would sound better than this arrangement. I love this arrangement. Uh, it's just bass kicks. There's no snare. It's uh, almost kind of ambient. Yeah, and, and, the, and the pads are like, I don't know, they're like both warm and murky and creepy and soulful and hopeful. Like, they, they hit a lot of different kind of emotional notes here. Uh, and that little weird echoing synth line, Trevor, that keeps happening after each uh, each verse. I love that, too. That's also very strange and very interesting. And Are you talking about the interpolation of the string part from If You Want My Love, Put Something Down On It? <laughs> yeah, is that what it is? Oh, my gosh. Okay, buckle in for this one, because I want to talk about this, you know? Yeah, go for um, it. So this features that, you know, the little... That's from an old Bobby Womack song from the 70s, If You Want My Love, Put Something Down On It, which I guess they chose to reincorporate it here. Do you know who else chose to put their own little spin on this uh, on this little melody? No. One Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart. He would um, plagiarize this string part, not sample it, not credit it. He would just, just decide to take it for one of the worst songs of all time. Do you think I'm sexy? Oh my god. Oh you, you, no. you hear it now, right? Yeah. Can we no. play some of that like in the background? It's, I guess we I, have to. Oh I no. hate Rod Stewart. He's one of my least favorite artists. I like always cringe when he comes on the radio i think maggie may is like really subtly misogynistic in a much eviler way than a lot of like outwardly misogynistic rock music tends to be i don't know i just have never been a fan of this guy highly 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 punchable face and just do you think i'm sexy is one of the worst songs of all time it's really bad it's really bad and he and he like do you remember, like, the 1980s were this weird moment where you could be a, a verging on middle-aged white man who, like, mixed casual and, and, and business dress, and that was, like, the coolest thing in our culture? Ugh, I hate him. And the worst part is he stole it. He didn't even credit him. What a fucking like, asshole. He, like, admitted to it in an interview once, and he's like, oh, yeah, you could just take whatever as long as you don't take the main melody from the song. Which I feel like isn't true. It's like, not. Somebody send Rod Stewart to, like, copyright jail. Yeah, for sure. Fuck that guy. Fuck Rod Stewart. Oh, my God. Don't like him at all. I mean, I understand that if, if all there was to listen to in the world was the music of Rod Stewart... That there is certainly a period of his career before he became a rock and roll dad that is like markedly less shitty than his rock and roll dad period, but even less shitty Rod Stewart is still pretty shitty. You know, I think in that case, I would uh, if I if I, all I had to listen to Rod Stewart, I would take a take a bit of advice from my old friends in Depeche Mode and just enjoy the silence. 
So this is your favorite one on the album, huh? I love this song. I think it's Bobby's best performance on the record. I I love when he goes, uh, I'd always do something to make her cry, like, tear, tear down, cast them down. That's so good, man. What about when he goes, lollipops, lollipops? I love that. <laughs> I love when the mandolin comes in at the end, too. Like, fuck, man, this is so good. This is it's so really good. good. And it's, really it's, good. it's continuing that, that kind of theme of, like, looking back into the times and, and seeing all the shit that you did wrong. Like, for example, sleeping with your wife's daughter. <laughs> the times whatever happened to him yeah uh this is great man i think that this is a this is one of those times where like i feel distinct damon influences on here i feel distinct uh i feel some some distinct richard russell influences on here and i feel obviously the powerhouse of of uh pain and womack uh working together um and everybody seems to be really in lockstep with each other i really like this one it's really good it's really good i'm not i'm not as effusively ready to praise this next cut though oh this is another actually that's in my top three i like this one that's stupid yeah uh it starts with this gil scott heron uh sample quotes introlude introlude i'm not exactly sure is that a is that a an albarnism is that catastrophe? I, I imagine yeah but yeah this features a sample of gil scott heron who we discussed earlier he's talking about oral roberts in this clip um famous televangelist also i believe he has a university named after him uh oral roberts in the, like 1984 or 1987 went on to his tv show and said that if he didn't raise eight million dollars in the next three months god was going to call him home <laughs> Did he? Uh, he did. He raised nine million. Oh, good. And and God didn't put didn't come through with the hit on him. He owed God eight million bucks, <laughs> and he, he paid it off. <laughs> we, we should all try that. I really like the way this one starts, though. I like that that little like God was broke punchline, and then it, the beat Very drops. Good. Really effective. The beat drops really good. Mm-hmm. Really good. Yep. And this one's kind of a departure from the rest of the album. You know, instead of reflecting on Bobby's past, it kind of takes a look at the hypocrisy that's often found in like organized religion i think that's why it doesn't have the same power to me like i like bobby a lot more when he's looking inside and, and criticizing himself than when he kind of brings that that power of criticism to the outside world a little bit it does feel like an outlier but his performance here is like real feels really genuine and fiery like you can tell that it's a subject that's like important to him he, he definitely seems to be singing from the perspective of a person with some faith uh in god who's just kind of angry at, at disappointed that uh the people who are supposed to be representing him are being so manipulative yeah and i love the outro the the shadara the little the little like group vocalization that ends the song i think is really good you can totally Um, hear damon in there too which is great love that and he's got he's got some more great piano moments on this one i don't love that piano part it sounds a little too like music boxy to me i'm not i'm not really into that piano line on this track i can see where Um, you're coming from but i i really dig it i like the beat though i think the beat's pretty good the sick beat feels like maybe sonically there's a little bit like there's some stuff in here that we've already kind of visited sonically and and worked a little bit better for me but i think mainly my problem here is just that like i find it a little bit less compelling when bobby kind of points his fingers at other people than when he's pointing his finger at himself you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i know what you mean anyhow anyhow it's not a bad song it just it just doesn't quite uh i don't know i don't know what are you gonna do this next one's got some finger pointing too though right 
I actually really like this song too. This is like this one is very good. This one almost cracked my top three, but just just didn't quite get there. It's it's like my number three probably. You know what it really reminds me of? It really reminds me of that song uh, "One Thousand Deaths" from Black Messiah, the D'Angelo album. I haven't heard that actually. I know it's supposed to be a very good record. We haven't actually said the name of this song. It's "If There Wasn't Something There." If there wasn't something there. If there wasn't something there. You know what I like about this? I like this record kind of desexualizes Bobby Womack uh, to an extent. That's going to be really pretty... weird to hear for, like, you know, a lot of Gorillaz fans who have only ever seen him as just this old man. Yes. <laughs> yes. This and old this... man, this old man fainting in a gorilla studio and Damon having to feed him a banana. Do you remember that story? <laughs> I do remember that. Yes. Uh, but, but I like that there's a song on this record that doesn't just see him as, like, an elderly wisdom machine that sees him like kind of once again the way that he used to kind of write as this as a romantic as his 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 biggest single if you think you're lonely now is kind of thematically explores a lot of the same content as this song which is like i i know you you've spurned me but i can tell deep down inside you still you still want me back uh kind of a kind of a an angle and I don't know. I it's just nice to hear him not being treated so preciously and sounding a little bit more like a like a human being in the present tense on this on this track. And then I love the the very dissonant dark verses and how they contrast with the like that big warm explosion of the vocal ensemble on the on the hook. I love the hook. I really like the hook. That's my favorite thing about this song, the kind of change of dynamics from the verses to the chorus. You know, you got the chorus, which is very, like, wistful, but then you move into the verses, and it gets very kind of, like, bitter. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. And the beat here is really beautiful, especially during those chorus parts. And I really um, appreciate that there are these kind of instrumental breaks throughout, like, the, se- the last third of the song, just so you get to appreciate that and kind of, like bask in it because they're just cooking up some really nice sounds here it's very cool i i wish that there'd been a, a little bit more of the kind of uh traditional kind of romantic womack on this record uh than we got although i do like the fact that he's that he's like leaning into his elder statesman of pop music role on here too that stuff's good too yeah and i mean considering this is the last bobby womack album you, you know you gotta ask yourself did he know that did he know it was gonna be the last one but considering it's the last bobby womack album you gotta you know i think i like that it's about bobby womack yeah i get that i get that i mean I think, in a sense, he probably did see the writing on the wall. So the timeline of this is that this comes out in 2012. In 2013, he announces his his Alzheimer's diagnosis, uh, and then he dies in 2014. So you have to imagine that, that to the extent that doctors had gotten involved yet, he probably could feel changes happening. Right. It wasn't um, like he was rushing to finish it, like, right before his death, but, like, he probably had an idea, like, oh, I might not get to do this again. Yeah, and I mean, that, that definitely adds a lot of weight to some of the lyrics on here. I mean, Deep River in particular, we talked about earlier, uh, seems to reflect on the end of life. And, and Oh yeah, I mean, that's a song about kind of crossing over from something old into something new. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Love is Gonna Lift You Up, you want to talk about it? Yeah, um, I, I don't care for, for this one that much. This is kind of one of the weaker cuts on the album for me. I think Bobby wrote a very nice tune here. I think I like the I like the kind of it's get it gets better positive messaging here. Yeah, it just totally falls flat for me. You know, like like love is gonna lift you up. It's 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 not. I think the arrangement 
fucks it a little bit. I feel like I feel like the drums are way too hot in this mix and they sound really dumb and the synths sound really corny. Like you know the synths on those early albums by the Who that kind of like don't sound like they know how to make them work with a band yet. That's what that kind of reminds me of. And then it even almost sounds like Albarn and Russell weren't exactly convinced with their arrangements because like halfway through they start to layer in some more like traditional funky horns behind it yeah there's horns and piano which are nice but i mean i don't know it just feels like too much fluff they improve it they do improve it in my opinion like this this song i think could have breathed a lot more with a more traditional um womackian arrangement behind it it sounds Uh, like it could be on like sesame street or something i think i think it's nice. I like the positive messaging. I do like the positive messaging. Even no matter how genuine it is, it's it's nice to have a song like that on this record. Although they they do kind of come back for a little more of that uh, at the very a end. A little bit. This is definitely the most kind of like joyous and light that you get on this album, though. And you know, for that reason, it earns its place. I think. Yeah, I just uh, I just would have preferred if they leaned a little heavier on the you know get a get a bass guitarist and a horn combo and some guitar and some strings and then leave that leave out the it feels very thin it, it feels does. thin doesn't you know? it but but yeah. I, it is a little yeah. catchy it is a little catchy he wrote a, he wrote a catchy yeah. little ditty well catch a catchy little pop tune i just don't think that necessarily the think tank came through on this one filler filler boys you know what's not filler what's very very fascinating and isn't exactly top thir- three for me but but is uh totally singular <laughs> on this record Nothing can save you. Yes. I was crying, I'm dreaming. Very fascinating, uh, especially because it's of the kind of interesting feature turn from a, from a Malian musician singer named uh, Fatuamata Diawar, I believe is her name. One of Damon's subjects. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like, does she even get paid, or can he just order her to do this? As <laughs> I think she actually, I think she actually lives in France. So I'm not sure how that kind of affects the whole monarch subject relationship. That's a good point. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe David no longer has sovereign sovereignty over her. I don't. Know. He probably considers her like an expatriate or something. She's great on this, though, man. She's really good. Yeah, she she brings in a really strong performance, and she I think pairs really nicely with Womack. Although there is still kind of the same issue as on Dayglo, where like I wish that they would move back and forth between these two a little bit more than they do um, you definitely get the impression that they might it's likely that they weren't in the studio together definitely definitely but but just sonically her voice i think it adds a good accent to bobby Womack's voice you know yeah yeah that reminds me though do you think uh do you think damon and lana del rey have met mm, i can see you know what i bet that happened in richard russell's recording studio not in 13 that would be my guess that would be my guess LDR on a gorilla song when love uh, Womack's delivery of the line did I get close to your soul where it gets really really low and I really like uh, the hours uh, uh, delivery of uh, was kind of dreaming with her really heavy accent really good I really like all the sample work going on um, in the background of this one too there's a lot of vocal samples being triggered and to a really good effect I think I'm not totally convinced on what I would assume is Richard Russell's big contribution here a lot of like cutting up of, of Bobby's vocals on that one hook line that they keep repeating. Oh, I, I really dig that. I don't know if I'm totally sold on that. This is cool, though. This is this is different, and you know what it actually it, it reminds me of is being, like, the second-to-last song on a, on a somewhat strange, offbeat collection of songs that, like, 
kind of sums up the weird thing that this was all going for is the same thing that kind of like Phoenix on the Hill does for the super deluxe uh, vinyl collection of songs, you know? I mean, I can like, think of, we've discussed so many songs like that. I think uh, Three Changes kind of fits into that on sure. The Bad and the Queen. I Definitely. think Space Hose is another good example. That's another good example. This Plastic Beach is a big one for me. The title track on that one, that feels like, you know, these songs where it feels like everything's finally coming together. Yeah, and this, this does kind of feel like, uh, okay, okay, now that you've heard all the things we're going for, here's like, here's a big, here's a longer piece that weaves all of that stuff together. I just, I could have used a little bit more Bobby. Not not quite as bad of an absence as it was on Dayglow, but but I still could have used a little bit more of it here. Yeah, this song doesn't kind of fill the shoes that I think a lot of those other songs we just mentioned do. For sure. Really interesting lyric, though. I think the lyric is very interesting. It's, it's a little bit grave, uh, this lyric. I think uh, it, it's ponderous, but also it's maybe coming to some kind of dark conclusions in its pondering. There's a lot of pain here. Pain that's not, you know, easily gotten over. It kind of forms a pain sandwich between two happy buns. <laughs> right, because you got Love is Gonna Lift You Up, and then you got the closer, Jubilee. Jubilee. Don't let nobody turn you around. And you know what You know what I think, Dylan? What do you think? I think, I think every album really needs to have one song on it, like at least one song where, you know, you say fuck it, and you like, you know, you get this like balls to the wall energy, and it's a real stomper and a real barn burner, you know? Every, like, you know, you got your punks, you got your white lights. <laughs> every album needs a song like this. I, I can't remember who said that, though. That's true. <laughs> This is a crazy kind of noisy mess, but I actually like this. It's cool. I, I like when he goes. I like when he goes. Turn that vocal up in the background. That's fun. I wish it, there was more of that going on in the song. It feels very conversational of the the different the three different styles that are working on this record. So like, you know, uh, British chill wave from Richard Richard Russell and like uh, weirdo synth pop from David Albarn and and gospel and neo soul from bobby womack like this feels very conversational of those three styles to me it feels conversational and very off the cuff like it almost could have emerged just like naturally from a studio jam yes like this is what if if in fact these three men could jam together which i don't know that they could this is what would happen Mm -hmm. you know yeah and you know i like off the cuff closers but i think it feels like there's a step missing in finishing this album for me because you know we had nothing can save you and then we get this. I feel like there should be something slotted in between there. That's kind of just more of a, more of like a, if not necessarily a big climax, but more of a sign-off. Like an interlude, another interlude or something. Like a, like a, you know, to keep reaching back for Damon's stuff. Like a, this is a low before a lot 105. Or like, or like, um, like a fire coming out of the monkey's head before, uh, don't get lost in heaven demon days. Or maybe they could have gotten a little interview with Sam Cooke's wife to slot in there. <laughs> Something like that, man. This is good, though. This is funny, and it's cute, and it's positive, and it's weird, and I kind of like that it stands as, like, the final artistic statement from this guy, you know? Sure. Like, you know, it's, it's good advice, too. It is. Don't let nobody turn you around. I agree. It's To me, it's it's less saccharine than, than the positivity that he tried to get going on Love is Gonna Lift You Up, you know? Yeah, it's more It's more usable. It's more <laughs> utilitarian advice sure. where it's like... Don't don't listen to the fucking haters. Just do your thing. Do your thing. Do your uh, damn, do your thing. damn thing. Do your thing. Your thing. Your thing.
yeah, Bobby Womack, a complicated man, a, a fascinating artist. This this album is a weird entryway into Bobby Womack for this podcast in a way. Right. I assume we'll talk about the poet at a later date. I'm assuming we will. Yeah. Um, but you know, he's an he's a singular American artist, and he meant so fucking much to Damon, and by extension to Gorillas. I mean, the echo of Bobby Womack is still felt. In, in humans and i mean when we went to see them we we felt some of that echo ourselves uh from from arthur but yeah that's um that's the bravest man in the universe by bobby womack what a what an interesting uh entry and, and like i said last week i guess it it's kind of the the it forms the the triforce with with <laughs> danger doom and delton 3030 right this is the third of that triforce if you look at through it at like the very specific gorilla's lens that we look through albums with pretty much i mean you got you got the um the triforce of power thing would be danger doom right probably the triforce right? of wisdom would probably be deltron and you know i know it's an obvious choice but the triforce of courage the bravest man of the universe do you think he was like all sam cook jokes aside do you think he was i mean not all sam cook jokes aside because that takes fucking balls he nobody was nobody was threatening to to drag that shit out uh in the in the early 90s when he wrote his autobiography he felt like he needed to get straight with himself, with his public, and uh, and he put it all out there. That to me is evidence of a, of a dude who's done some serious thinking, and uh, that's evidence to me of the bravest man. It also is evidence of some some serious balls. That's true. Um, Bobby Womack, we salute you. Rest in peace. Uh, you were a really special guy, and you and you uh, you brought something really special to this band. I think that I think that. In a way, Bobby Womack joining up for the project is kind of the most important thing that happened to Gorillaz in Phase Three, uh, and and seems to have had such a such a deep impact on Damon too. This one's for Bobby Womack. Pour it out, pour one out for Bobby Womack. So, Trevor, uh, it seems weird to talk about what we're going to do next time we get together when we're recording from this weird void where we're never exactly sure exactly when everything's dropping but um do you want to do you want to do you want to have the last one be a surprise i feel like it's almost kind of like a little bit of a special occasion considering what it There's, is i'm of two minds about it because on the one yeah that sounds like fun but on the two and like everybody's gonna know what it is the anyway. question is do you want to give the listeners like a week to get reacquainted with it to get ready for a review for it i don't know let's let's just let's i think they know what it's gonna be i feel yeah i feel yeah and if they don't it'll be a nice surprise because you know it's a little it feels like a little bit of a special moment for the podcast like all right yeah that's good we'll we'll, yeah, you know we'll hold mean? it back we'll hold it back just just try to try to think like what are they doing this season they're doing albums where at least two members of the gorillas family were involved okay i think it's gonna be dot 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 and a member, a member doesn't just have to be like let's let's not you know let's not pigeonhole to members. More than one gorilla's element is at play. Meditate on it, and maybe you'll maybe you'll predict it yourself. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see, and we'll see you there next week. Well, no, we'll see you there whenever this happens. Stone, <laughs> do you want to say? Do you want to say where they can find us so they can find us when we finally you know when the bottle finally pops yeah you can find us on twitter and facebook and instagram and tumblr and amino and you can send us an email to howlyoumonkeys at gmail.com and you can leave us a review on itunes and you can uh sign up for for uh exclusive content 
on patreon.com slash howlingamonkeys. That's until the end of the year. You got to the end of the year to get in at the dollar or or greater level to get access to that content or $5 or greater to to decide what that content will be and force us to listen to albums that you like. Uh, Don't forget to stick around to the end of the show because we've got a brand new track from Gorillaz vs. Logass. Once again, no antenna. Another world premiere. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And uh, and until uh, then, I guess... Just, I don't know, figure out ways that you can spend money on us and help the show. That's what I want you to do. We're so very grateful. We really do appreciate it. And we're so excited to be getting these episodes out to you. I think it's going to be really fun, Trevor. Yeah, yeah. And we we appreciate, as always, you guys joining us for another, hopefully, hour and 15 minutes if Dawn's able to, you know, hit that sweet spot. (laughs) But we're out of time for today. As always, I've been Trevor Ickrath. I've been Dylan Flynn. And until next week... Don't get lost in heaven. Demo.